We're uh, working through a book called The Story. And anybody bring a copy? Can you hold it up? Anybody have a copy of the story? A few of them around. Um, they're available at the welcome desk. If you don't have one, feel free. The story is uh, basically spliced together chronologically. It's the Bible spliced together chronologically so that it can be followed along in like a chronological story flow. And we're walking through that this school year. So we're only about a fourth of the way through. If you're new to Polaris, a great time for you to get engaged in that. And in this part of the story, God is building his chosen people, the Jews, the Israelites, into a nation. And King David is the second king of Israel. He's taken his place on the throne. And the Bible describes David as a man after God's own heart. You can imagine being the kind of person that the Bible would say, this is a person after God's own heart. And we'll see today that even he has his struggles. So this is a story about failure and God's grace. And I wrote it um, today. It's the family version of this story because you never know who's going to be around. David's been king for a while now, and he's had great success. He's the spiritual champion of Israel. He's the hero. He's the classic good guy. He's noble. He's awesome until now, filled with integrity until now in the story. So let me begin with a general definition of sin, because some of you may be brand new to the Bible, and sin is a word that has kind of uh, worked its way out of uh, popular culture. So uh, sin now, these days, is reserved for like the appetizer or dessert section of the menu, uh, describing chocolate mousse or, you know, chicken wings. When it comes to scripture, sin is uh, breaking one of God's laws. When God says not to do something and you do it anyway, that's sin. Or in the book of James in the New Testament, we read that, that if we see something that we know we should do and we don't do it, that's sin. Or... Uh, it cannot necessarily be related to any one action if we just kind of choose to go our own way in life and ignore God. That's sin, because the idea of sin is missing the target. And if you live your own way and ignore God, you're missing the target of what it means to be human, because we were made for a friendship with God. And so that would be sin. So as we walk through this story of David and Bathsheba, uh, I want to challenge you to ask these questions. What's in my life right now that I know shouldn't be there? I hope you'll ask that. What's in my life right now that I know shouldn't be there? And some of you, if you're like me already, then that's, that's all it takes, and you have a long list of, of possibilities. Or what should be in my life right now that's not there? So with those two questions in mind, what do I need to get rid of or what do I need to add to my life? Let's work through this story of sin and all of its messiness. I'll walk through this and then we'll talk about why it matters. 2 Samuel, that's the book we're going to be hanging out in, uh, starting with chapter 11. It says, In the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab, who was like a commander in his army, um, uh, with the king's men. He sent them and the whole Israelite army. 
They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah. Some parables up there. But David remained in Jerusalem. David remained in Jerusalem. So this story is leading up to a moment of lust, which then piles up into all kinds of sins and tragedies, but it begins where a lot of sin begins, with a guy or a girl who is at some place they shouldn't be or not at some place where they should be. So if you've asked, uh, what's in my life that shouldn't be here? What do I need to get out of my life? With that in mind, maybe you'll begin to think about maybe the physical location where that thing tends to happen. So David is hanging out in the palace when normally he would be leading his troops to battle. One of your kingly duties, one of the dominant leadership things you would do as a king is you would take your troops and you would lead them into battle. But David is hanging out in Jerusalem instead. So you have a scenario where all the manly men are off fighting a battle. Meanwhile, the alpha male, the rock star, is hanging out back in Jerusalem around the ladies. So this is a recipe for disaster. One evening, David got up from his bed and walked around on the roof of his palace. From the, roof, from the roof, he saw a woman bathing, and the woman was very beautiful. And David sent someone to find out about her. Now, David was married, and this woman also happened to be the wife of one of David's closest uh, battlefield comrades, Uriah. So much of this failure happens... Much of our failures happen when we fail to protect ourselves from ourselves. So let me start with, with the most innocent way to frame this. Keep in mind this particular sin started with David allowing himself to be in a position uh, where he was nearby uh, other married women. Um, let, let's start with something innocent that's not necessarily sinful. Um... Some people don't care about food. You hear some people, I can think of one person in particular, I picked on her in the first service, who will say, I forgot to eat today. Like, shut up. <laughs> some people truly just don't care about food. Nothing really excites them in the food realm. And those people are consequently usually thin. Other people like me have to fight daily the battle of the bulge. Like, I have to work hard just, just for this, which isn't that impressive, okay? <laughs> if I bring a bag of Doritos into my house for the kids, <laughs> I can say no 20 times. I can win the fight 20 times, but lose the battle because then at one week moment, I'll sit down and eat half a bag. And, and, and I, you know how that goes. If you put yourself in a position where you have to say no and get it right and win time and time again, eventually, it's going to get you. So that's just food. Let's start with some struggles 
that may be a little more problematic in the sin realm. Some of you maybe struggle with debt, struggle with being good stewards of your resources, and you just tell yourself that you're going to go do a little window shopping at the mall. Now, sure, you have your credit card with you, you have your ID with you, but you're just going to go do some window shopping to blow off some steam. Nobody's with you, it's just you, your credit cards, and the salesperson. You're putting yourself in a place where you have to say no to every new thing that you see because you have the ability to go there if you want to. Maybe some of you struggle with gossip and you tell yourself that you're just going out with your friends to enjoy the evening and then you have a drink or two and it loosens you up. And now before you know it, you're the lead gossip at the table because you chose to put yourself in a place to fail. Now maybe some of you tell yourself that you got to get uh, some work done, check up on your email, you want to watch the rest of the game, maybe you have some homework to do. And now you're the last one awake in the house and you start surfing the web and end up in places where you shouldn't be. And it's largely because you're the last one awake and now there's no accountability. What can you do or where can you stay away from to help you deal with whatever you shouldn't be doing? That's half the battle. Then it says, David sent someone to find out about her, and the man said, uh, that's Bathsheba. She's the daughter of Eliam, the wife of your friend Uriah. Then David sent messengers to get her, and she came to him. So David sees her, and he learns that she's married, and he calls for her anyway. Now, David had many wives. The Bible, uh, God says to kings in the Bible, I don't want you having multiple wives. That's bad news. David does anyway. Now, there aren't a whole lot of reasons that I can think of to have a lot of beautiful wives around. I, I doubt that he wanted more in-laws. There's probably a driving force. The point is, if David was in the mood to spend some time with a beautiful woman, he had options already. But sin usually begins when we've decided, I don't have enough, I need that. Or, I don't have that thing, but I deserve that. We always need to be aware when that creeps in, because that's a recipe for disaster. I deserve that, or I'm bored, and I want that. So we find out a few verses later, family version, that Bathsheba now has the proverbial bun in the oven. Her husband's off to war, so this creates a problem for her and David. So David's going to begin to try to cover this up. And he invites Uriah back from the battlefield. He knows if I can just have Uriah go home and spend some quality time with the family, we can cover this whole thing up because now there's a reason for this. So he invites Uriah in, creates a party kind of atmosphere and says, once you go home, spend the evening with your wife 
and then go back to the battlefield. Uriah leaves, but he doesn't go home. He won't go in the house. David questions him. He says, how could I do such a thing? My comrades are out in battle. I couldn't go and spend time with my wife when my comrades can't. That wouldn't be right. So now David has a bigger problem because Uriah is not going to make it easy. Here's what I want you to see, though. This is very convicting for me. Uriah and David were close. And there's good reason to believe that Uriah, I mean, that's a pretty noble thing to say. Nope, I'm not going to go spend time with my wife because all my brothers are out there fighting the battle. They can't, so I'm not. I mean, that, that's, nobody would even know, okay? That, that's pretty noble. He likely got that way because of the time he spent with David. Everything we read about David up to this point, he is just stand up integrity, above board, high ethics, high nobility. There's a good chance that Uriah got to that level from the time he spent with David, but the problem is the fame, the fortune, the success has taken its toll on David's heart. And now David feels entitled, and David is in a spiritual lull. And here's my point. We all have highs and lows. And just because you're at a good place today or you were in a good place a year ago, that doesn't mean that you're in good shape spiritually right now. So we have to be aware of our highs and lows so that we can protect ourselves. David realizes that he can't get out of this. And so in verse 14 we read this, In the morning David wrote a letter to Joab, and sent it with Uriah. Uriah is actually carrying his own death sentence. In this letter he wrote, put Uriah out in the front where the fighting is the fiercest, and then withdraw from him so that he will be struck down and die. So while Joab um, had the city under siege, he put Uriah in the place where he knew the strongest defenders were. And when the men of the city came out and fought against Joab, some of the men in David's army fell, and Uriah the Hittite died. <clears throat> Now, this is horrible because it wasn't just one innocent person. It was multiple innocent persons that died at the hand of this decision that David made to try to cover up his own sin. Now, here's another lesson in sin. I believe that if you would have gone to David when he was on his rooftop stroll at the start of this whole mess and said, I want you to know if you send for her, you are going to be issuing the order to kill your own men to cover it up. David would have been mortified. He would have said, no way. That was not David's heart. But he let himself be dragged into a mess. And that's what sin does. It blinds us to consequences. And so we'll quickly trade in for one short burst of pleasure all sorts of potential devastation so months go by and David takes Bathsheba to be his wife he's close to a man named Nathan who's a prophet speaks on behalf of God and Nathan comes in and he talks to David and he says this the Lord sent Nathan to David and when he came to him he said there were two men in a certain city one rich and the other poor the rich man had a very large number of sheep and cattle, 
But the poor man had nothing except one little lamb. He raised it and grew it up, him and his children. He shared food with it, drank from his cup, slept in his arms. It, it, it was like a daughter. It's like the family pet. Now a traveler came to the rich man who had tons of cattle and tons of sheep. But the rich man refrained from taking one of his own sheep or cattle uh, to prepare for a meal for the traveler. Instead, he took that little lamb that belonged to the poor man and prepared it uh, for the one who had come. Now David burned with anger against this hypothetical man. And he said to Nathan, as surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this must die. He must pay for the lamb four times over because he did such a thing and had no pity. And then Nathan turned to David and he said, you are the man. Busted. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I anointed you king over Israel. <clears throat> I delivered you from the hand of Saul and from your enemies. I gave your master's house to you, your master's wives into your arms. I gave you all Israel and all of Judah. And if all of this had been too little, I would have given you even more. Why did you despise the word of the Lord or hold it second? By doing what is evil in his eyes. You struck down Uriah with a sword and took his wife to be your own. You killed him. And therefore the sword will never depart from your house because you despised me and took the wife of Uriah to be your own. And the flood of consequences and conviction now hit David at full force. His sin caught up to him. And David immediately falls apart and realizes how far he's fallen. So David sits down at some point and he writes out what's now Psalm 51. David is brought to full repentance. And he pours his heart out before God. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. God, I am so guilty. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time I was conceived. Yet you desired faithfulness even from the womb. You taught me wisdom in this secret place. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me, I'll be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all of my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Don't cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore me to the joy of your salvation. And grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Now listen, we are broken and fallen human beings. And when we ask, 
what in my life needs to go? We're probably flooded with all sorts of past stuff, and even yesterday, and even last night, and even this morning. And when we're crushed by our sin, and as humans we will be, the place to start is a Psalm 51 moment when we pour out our hearts to a merciful God. Um, couple of thoughts. Number one, I consider uh, very important to me is to realize that, like, that's a horrible story. I believe that, that I am only two or three bad decisions away from very similar things. I think it's important that we all realize that no matter where we think we are, we aren't very far from being in some pretty bad places. And that's why we need to daily search for a genuine friendship with God. The second thing is this. The Bible says that David was a man after God's own heart. Um, but David, when he writes in the Psalms, says, I'm filthy rags. My best is just filthy rags. And I think it's important for us to realize that we are fallen. And, and while we strive for perfection spiritually, we are going to fail. But when we do, we take that to God. And the Bible says that when we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Here's why. Jesus already paid the price. The Bible says that on the cross, Jesus became sin and died to that sin. He also paid our death penalty for us. So no matter how far we've gone, no matter what we've done, no matter what that thing we know we got to get out of our life is, that price has already been paid for in full. And so when we take that to God, we need to receive the forgiveness that he offers. We don't have to confess the same thing over and over and over again unless we keep doing it. Because what we did in the past is already forgiven when we take it to God because of what Jesus did. So I want to close us out with a time of prayer. Would you stand? And with those things in mind, I'm going to pray on our behalf. And we're going to take those to God and invite in his forgiveness and receive that forgiveness because of what Jesus did. Father, I stand before you as I have so many times in the past, a guilty, sinful man. And I'm speaking to you on behalf of my brothers and sisters here, and we want to take a silent moment to lift to you, and as best as we know how, the sins that are on our hearts. And Father, as you hear our hearts, you see a, a large tapestry of all sorts of sins woven together because that's who we are. We are fallen and broken, and we are desperate for your forgiveness. Thank you for sending your Son to pay the price for that tapestry of sin. It is washed clean. It is white as snow. Please walk with us in forgiveness. Help us to know our forgiveness, to know your love, to know your grace. And help us to fight for the kind of purity that you deserve. Because you deserve our very best. In Jesus' name.
Amen. Happy Thanksgiving.